This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who will share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. I'm very excited about today's episode, which will be the first time that we focus on outdoor education and nature-based physical activity and sports in this podcast. Nature-based activities have become very popular, especially during the COVID pandemic, when the lockdowns have prevented many people from visiting gyms and playing team sports and and doing those activities that uh, are maybe not possible at, at this time of our life. But I would say that there is also a broader general trend of growth of interest in nature-based sports and adventures as well as we have pressing questions about how we can live more sustainable lives and whether nature-based movement activities can contribute to these goals. I'm really delighted to introduce our guest who will help us explore some of these issues and questions. He joined the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences one year ago and is a professor of outdoor studies at any hall, as as we know it. Before this, he was at the University of Edinburgh for almost 15 years and still retains a 0.2 position there. He has published five books, including Adventurous Learning and Adventure and Society, which will form the basis for some of the things that we will be discussing today. So, welcome, Professor Simon Beans and Thank you so much for joining me for today's exciting discussion. Well, it really is a, a pleasure to to be with you, and thank you for that lovely introduction. You've uh, got me all nervous now that I better say something very clever <laughs> during during our our talk. But uh, yeah, looking forward to our discussion. Thank you, Nora. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And. And I mean, these nature-based and outdoor activities are like a big part of my life, hiking, running on trails, and mountain biking. But I really look forward to somebody like you who has worked in this area for so long to provide me a bit more theory-informed <laughs> discussions on, on what is actually going on. And so 
I guess as a start, I already mentioned about the COVID pandemic is something that probably disrupted people's activities. And at least I was seeing a lot more people like on trails if I would go running and the forest was becoming quite busy. At, at uh, especially during the time of the lockdowns when you can't access the gym or any of the indoor facilities. But so, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I guess that's still part of a broader trend that we might be witnessing a surge of interest on nature, sports, nature-based physical activity and, and recreation. So uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that, where, where we are going with, with that. Mm. Yeah, well, I think a lot of this also has to do with where we are in the world, where people are. So, for example, uh, I feel like I was lucky to uh, have been living in Scandinavia and Norway in particular during the lockdown because uh, I had fantastic access to the trails. And so I, you know, it was wonderful to be able to go for a long walk in the woods every day or for a bike ride or a run. Uh, but it wasn't like that for a lot of people. For example, I know the colleagues in the UK were only allowed out for an hour a day, for example. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I, and, and um, so I think COVID had a really, it kind of really shuffled the, the deck uh, regarding sort of who are the, uh, the, Who's, who are the winners and losers? And what I mean by that is, uh, is that um, I, I think that uh, it, uh, the, the lockdown sort of demands that we ask different questions about who, who were, who's being disadvantaged by these new uh, social arrangements. Because, yeah, it's true. Like in Norway, there were uh, all kinds of uh, sort of outdoor pieces of equipment that were sold out in stores because everybody wanted to you know uh, a hammock or to buy a, a you know a new bicycle or whatever uh, I understand that the 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 number of no. uh, pets that were were bought and uh, uh, and acquired maybe that's a better word uh, house pets dogs and and so on were uh, really went up as well so I think that what's interesting to me is what this uh, what COVID has did in terms of uh, uh, rearranging uh, the way we live our lives uh, on a social level. So in terms of the outdoors, yeah, I feel like a lot of us in, in living in Scandinavia, we were able to kind of, we, many of us were advantaged by that for those who uh, lived, had, had the means to be able to, to get outside um, and while other people in other countries uh, and perhaps even other parts of Norway were not able to to do that. So I may be a rambling answer there, but I think that uh, it, it really depends where we are and uh, and who we're talking about in terms of specific populations, uh, uh, in terms of uh, the influence that it might have had on outdoor uh, nature, leisure habits or time mm. yeah yeah and what are your thoughts kind of the broader trends that i'm at least i've seen more papers on these uh, more sustainable sports and there seems to be some romantic ideas about you know 
let's go back to nature, let's reconnect with the world and, and reconnect with ourselves through being out there in the nature and these ideas about alienation and, you know, how we are. Well, we are sitting on our computers all day long, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and how our lifestyles are. This is not a new idea at all, but it just seems to me that it might be becoming again in like a, maybe a trend or idea that is circulating out there. I think it is. I think this whole, um, I think what COVID has done has accelerated this trend. Uh, so I think as you as you were suggesting, it, it existed already, and uh, and living in this hypermodern world where everything's faster and faster, and communications are speeding up, and uh, and there's our you know our abilities to do different tasks uh, at the same time more quickly uh, are, are pervading more and more of our day to day lives. And I think then what what COVID has done is just has just uh, has brought that to the fore even more. So we're you know we're we don't need to perhaps travel uh, as much, but we're on the screen all the time. But because of that, I think there are there are certain uh, issues around health and well-being which have come to the fore, uh, both physical health and mental health. So if you're if if COVID uh, and, and the lockdowns and teaching and working remotely or what have you are causing us to be in front of the screen for long hours of the day, very sedentary, uh, sitting in a chair or working uh, at a, maybe even uh, sitting in bed, for example, uh, if someone else in the house is using the kitchen table, uh, then there are, there are, I think, more and more people just looking for that, that uh, a, a little bit of uh, uh, fresh air, uh, looking for some kind of natural connection, looking for some kind of physical exercise to, as a, almost as a kind of renewal or cleansing. I know I certainly, that, that is my own experience. I've, I've really felt like, okay, wow, this has been a few hours in front of the screen on a Zoom meeting, on Zoom meetings, and, uh, and I just need to go and uh, kind of reset. Isn't it kind of paradoxical that at the same time as we are more connected in in a sense that you can now talk to anyone anywhere in the world and and you know well before the covid you could travel anywhere take a plane and that's that was part of very connected world but at the same time we talk a lot about like alienation loneliness disconnection at the same time so we by becoming more connected, we actually also become more disconnected at the same time. <laughs> well, that's it. I think. I think that, and and it's what are the the how are we connected? I mean, in some ways, I'm more connected to friends around the world than I was before COVID through uh, video and audio means, and that's been you know that's wonderful. But well, I think we also need a c- certain human face to face connection and uh, i just can't imagine having uh, you know people who have lived alone through the uh, through these various degrees of lockdown particularly uh, older people i mean it's just uh, uh, i think that in terms of mental health and, and loneliness as you were saying it's just so so difficult yeah i i haven't followed the news here in norway as as closely as I probably should have, but I think there have been now the concerns about and like 
that a lot of effort should be put on helping, especially older people who now cannot, like due to COVID, you you almost have to lock yourself into your home in the at least in the coming months when things are probably getting worse and how you can support those people. Yeah. So yeah, some of the really big things. So nature and connectedness. Let's just put you a big statement that, you know, if we just go back to nature, are we going to solve all our big problems of alienation and planetary destruction, disconnectedness, all of that is you can just say yes and we can finish the episode or or is it more complicated than that? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a question. Well I think the answer to that is well well, maybe if we did all completely abandon uh, all of our material possessions and went back to some kind of pre-industrial existence. Yeah, may, may, I, I think the uh, the planet uh, and its uh, ecosystems would probably be uh, much healthier. But it's that's probably you know, complete. That you know, just just so far fetched. It's never going to happen. So, so how how do we? So, what is the next question then? Is it is it how do we uh, sort of how, how do we mean the the the, the 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 classic kind of term of and how do we dwell well in our places? Uh, mm. Perhaps that is 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 a, a more appropriate question for for these yeah. times because I, I do agree with you i mean i think that uh, you know if we were to to kind of to go back to these pre-industrial times um uh, there we might be feel like we were had stronger relationships with each other and uh, and with uh, the the places uh, in in which we live and be more more intertwined with our the ecosystems that support us and so on. But uh, we might also die earlier, have a lot of sickness. We might suffer from the cold. We might, uh, all, all kinds of things like that. So yeah, so I think that the question is, mm -hmm. as you say, much more complex. Uh, the answer is much more complex in terms of uh, how, do we, how do we live well and find some kind of balance between, you know, uh, li living uh, in this world where we've got this, these extraordinary means of communication and uh, and these social circumstances that are shifting so rapidly. I mean, you just think of how uh, the jobs that have been lost, uh, changed um, services in society just in the last seven months has been extraordinary. So what per perhaps, you know, a question that we need to look at is what is, what is uh, nature's role and our and sort of our time in nature, like how, how can we best be stewards of, of, of these natural spaces, but also how can we, can we use it to, how, how can we best focus uh, or mobilize our talents and capacities to build uh, strong, resilient communities who live lightly on the earth? And I mean, these questions about sustainability, how can we dwell in in a good way how can we live live in more sustainable ways individually collectively obviously those are well before covid took over those were really the big questions that that were at the forefront of the human agenda i guess mm -hmm. but uh, i mean there is also now in in sports philosophy i'm i'm certain in in your field of studies more as well these questions about what 
could be more sustainable ways of doing sports and and exercise and i mean some scholars or there would be some discussions about nature sport being the more sustainable more spiritual i guess you could say more meaningful <laughs> way mm-hmm. of 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 being active than some of the so-called mainstream sports but um i i guess it's not that simple and i think in your work you have very clearly kind of pointed out some problems with these nature-based sports or you are writing about adventure so Mm -hmm. maybe we can explore kind of the relationship between the so-called mainstream sport cultures and then these alternative and more nature-based sport cultures how do you view their relation sure yeah well I suppose I would say that I, I I wouldn't want to say that uh, that anybody involved in some kind of adventure sport or some kind of uh, yeah lifestyle sport as as Belinda Wheaton uh, calls them uh, to be any more meaningful than someone who's you know playing football soccer for example. But mm-hmm. I but I but what I what I am interested in is how we are thinking about the adventures that we undertake and i guess what i mean by adventures is is it in a kind of more classic sense in terms of the trips we might go on uh you know the you know a camping trip or some kind of expedition or the the daily the more daily uh adventurous practices of going mountain biking or uh climbing or surfing or 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 what have you and so i think what's interesting to me is how people who are engaged in those activities are thinking about sustainability when they make their choices about how they do their activities. So for example, where are they going? Are, you, are people flying to the other side of the world to do their, to, you know, to, to, to go mountain biking? Are people, what kind of, what kind of choices are people making about the clothing they wear? or the equipment they buy in terms of like, do they know what kinds of uh, raw materials were used in, in making the equipment and where it came from and, mm. uh, and what were the labor conditions uh, that uh, were employed to, for, for, for the people who were manufacturing the, some of the equipment that we're using, for example. So I think those are, we need to be asking ourselves those questions how are we and then back to the kind of the where is the where where is the activity taking place you know are we able to do we have to does do each of us have to drive there can we take public transport for some of the way and and of course for some people who are uh, involved in various uh, you know expeditions or uh, adventure sports uh, it of course it may, just may not be that you can buy uh, a particular jacket with certain functions that that uh, that is that was made by people who were paid a very good wage and doesn't have it doesn't have any petroleum based products in it and where no habitat was damaged that can mm. be you know i mean maybe that maybe that jacket exists but it'll cost a fortune you know the the the, the kind of money that most of us can't spend and the activity that we may want to do that there it it may be very unlikely that there's any kind of public transport that's going to take us, you know, to the to the, the 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 cliff we want to climb or jump off of. 
uh, or what have you. And that, so we may just, there may be an element of uh, c- carbon emission associated with some of those, those habits. I don't have all the answers, I, sh- I, mm. I must add, but I think those, but, but as, as performers or practitioners or, or whatever we want to label ourselves, we absolutely have to be asking ourselves those qu- questions about the choices we're making and make our peace with them. I think the point you are making is really, really important that I would guess and also on my part, like uh, part of the reasons why I really love to go for hikes and and run on the trails is to feel that I'm closer to nature and connect. And I mean, a lot of people who are doing that are also concerned about the environment and sustainability. But if we look at that from just what you said about how you get there and what kind of gear you're buying and all that stuff. Actually, the more ecological and more sustainable uh, way of doing sports is to play football on the pitch that is like 300 meters from your home. In <laughs> some right. cases, I guess. Yeah. 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 And uh, you already talked about equipment, having this traveling. Some people want to climb a mountain on, on each continent and would do like... Mm-hmm massive amounts of traveling i guess the other part that you are talking about in in your later book in the um, adventure in society was also about this commodification of 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 adventure so both the experience as the as the products as well so what are we getting Mm. with our adventure experience yeah maybe you can talk about that a little bit sure and i think that that's where there's some interesting overlap between the worlds of tourism and education because uh, both of those fields in a way need to make money to survive and as we're seeing uh, in a lot of places in the world particularly there's there's a lot of attention right now in the uk on outdoor centers residential outdoor centers that are that are closing because they just don't have uh, the the money coming in right now from their um the the, the schools visiting but uh-huh. one uh, one way they overlap in terms of commodification is that they do need to generate income whether they're a for-profit or not-for-profit organization and generally the easiest way to do that is to provide services or products that are that that require that are that don't require um as much kind of one-on-one attention if you like so for example it's a, and and the classic case that's that you know that, that chris loins first wrote about in in 96 and then again in 98 is mcdonaldization of of adventure uh um adventure in a bun he called it and this whole idea of of uh of you know how you you might go to a, a, a mcdonald's restaurant whether it's a in Beijing or in uh, San Francisco or in Oslo, and the idea is that every the product's going to taste the same wherever you go, right? Yeah. The, the the Big Mac is going to taste like a Big Mac uh, yeah. in all those places. So it has a certain predictability about it, and the way that the Big Macs are made are are pretty much identical in terms of how exactly how it's made, and uh, in terms of the equipment and the 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 procedure if you like to make the Big Mac so the argument here is that that if if you want to be a successful uh, revenue generating organization as McDonald's obviously has been because they are still around is mm. that uh, that there needs to be a certain amount of uh, predictability and calculability um, uh, and eventually uh, some kind of automation that that will that will 
uh, accompany these services. So the, the the problem with these, when this is applied in the world of outdoor adventure, whether it's for educational purposes or whether it's for tourism, is that uh, it can it doesn't cater to everyone well enough. It sort of mm-hmm. gives everybody roughly the same product, uh, um, and it's going to be pretty predictable. Certainly, there's there should be in 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 both in both uh, sectors there should be uh, no reason for anybody to get uh, to become seriously harmed because that because that is also not very good for business, right? When when yeah. people get seriously <laughs> seriously harmed, mm, so yeah. uh, so really this is uh, so even though it's called adventure, often there's very little that is adventurous within them because they do. In order to to uh, to be success successful, as organizations have to have some kind of predictability and, and calculability to uh, to in order to survive, because they're they're, they're you know in terms of having ratios that uh, are going to mean that uh, they don't have to pay huge uh, wage wage bills for for their their employees and and so on. And we know exactly what they're doing tomorrow morning and the morning after and the morning after how much equipment they're going to need, what equipment. It all becomes nicely uh, packaged and replicable. In one of those, I can't remember which book you kind of put it, but it's a nice example that we don't like adventures such as when our car breaks breaks down, for example. Or, you know, like when your bicycle breaks down in the middle of nowhere and you have to... get a long way back or when, when your yeah. all all your luggage is has disappeared when you get off the plane and you know those are adventures as well but we don't want that kind of yeah. adventures and we the, yeah, want the ones yeah, when yeah, everything right. works <laughs> yeah we want our ventures adventures to go according to plan which in itself you know is is almost an absurd statement so uh, you know we, yeah. we want we want our adventures to to go according to plan and uh, it's the and I, I'm a, I'm even though I write about this stuff I'm 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 the I do not like things to not go according to plan I, I want if I'm going to go on a you know hut to hut hike or whatever I, I want to make sure that uh, I get to where I'm going that night and I've look at the weather forecast very carefully I've packed my rucksack very carefully i've got everything i need in it to 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 be comfortable if things don't go quite according to plan but i i want things to go a certain way and uh i uh i'm probably not not the best ambassador for adventure when there is a a flat tire or when uh something unexpected uh happens so yeah i think that that's what that's what also makes this whole field of adventure so interesting to me is is a lot of the adventures that when we're talking about adventure in society people are what i mean what we're talking about in that book um chris and matt and i was we're talking about people's planned adventures we're talking about pe- things that people are choosing to do with their leisure time with their money uh, and and the the choices they're making, but they're 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 very much uh, planned adventures. These are this everything's very deliberate. Mm. I've thought about that, and uh, when now here here in Oslo, that I've also been here now for a couple of months, and almost every time we go for a run somewhere, leave from the sports sciences school, and and then when you go to 
to the forest in Nordmarka, like you always get lost because there are too many trails, you know, even if you take a look at the map and you might end up in eventually where you want, but almost every time there is a point when we are a little bit lost. And then I've been thinking about that, that did we come here to get everything exactly as we wanted? Like you should run on the track if you want things to be exactly as you planned. So why to get upset if you're a bit lost? Isn't that part of the point of doing that? <laughs> yeah. So well, let's say if I was going to meet you at somewhere in Oslo tomorrow and I'd never been, and I said I was going to, well, I'm going to meet you at 1.30 p.m. And then I took the, the metro down, and uh, but I got lost and I was going to be 20 minutes late, I would be furious at myself that I got mm -hmm. lost and I'm going to let you down because I'm going to be late. But uh, if I know that I'm going to go for a 40-minute run in the woods and mm -hmm. I, I love getting lost because I mm -hmm. know that it's not going to be forever and yeah. it's really not going to change much and I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. I, I don't, it would be a bit too much to call it a liminal space, but I'm going to, I really want to almost get lost uh, and be in a place where I, I don't know quite where I am. And it's, and my, and that has caused my, uh, some of my, uh, attention to be heightened about, mm, I better pay attention to the landscape a bit more where, where, where I might see a trail that's going to bring me back around. Cause I know I'm going roughly counterclockwise right now. And I'll mm. bang into that, you know, I'll eventually hit that main trail that comes back. So I, I, I love that, but, but it, cause it's almost like there's, um, there's this, uh, kind of these, these limits for within, within the boundaries that I have chosen, that is where I want my unscripted, unplanned events to happen, but I don't want them to happen out of those boundaries that I've set. And that, mm. and so, and that's my, that, and that's my little kind of uh kind of edgy edge edge work for the day and after that i kind of want everything to be quite predictable <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk then about uh our authenticity let's talk about authenticity of these adventure experiences so if we're getting quite a pre-packaged trip to do a mountain bike tour that is going to be exactly three hours and 30 minutes and then you have a nice meal and everything's very much set up for you and just like we discussed uh, there isn't a lot of unpredictable uh, or not so many unpredictable elements in that because everything has been set up to be exactly what is sold to you so how do how do you think about authenticity and and, and these experiences hmm well I'll start by saying so. Let's let's use your example of of uh, the you know buy, buying a day of mountain biking that ends up for maybe you're being taken around by some kind of guide and you go for a nice tour after. Well, I suppose you know who am I to say that that is not a hundred percent authentic for yeah. another person? Mm. Um, but some people, I suppose, might think, oh well, I I that perhaps is not as authentic as it could be because oh i don't want to be guided and i'd rather cook my own food or or uh, or what have you so i think those that that whole authenticity question is a really is a really tricky one because i think there's a certain subject subjectivity that that is uh, within it um so yeah difficult to make a too big a statement on that without getting in trouble i think mm. um all of all of all of our 
the activities that we undertake at some point, even if it's, say, you and I going for a walk in the woods and we decide that we're going to stop on this you know, nice lookout point and maybe we're going to have even a little fire and uh, have uh, some nice tea and a uh, canal buller. And uh, I mean, maybe that could be seen as, oh, that's quite authentic. Um, but at some degree, all of these experiences are contrived. Mm-hmm. We, we have, we have uh, gone some way to saying we are going to create the circumstances for having this experience together. So at some point they are, they are contrived and we have decided that these are the, the ingredients of this experience that we want to have. Uh, mm. So it may, but, and, and I, so I think it's really difficult to say, uh, you know, is, is something more or less authentic in that way. And I suppose then it comes back to how it makes us feel uh, mm. that do, 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 does one kind of experience make one feel more in touch with oneself like oh this is the real me and this is this is the way I am feeling when I'm uh, completely out with the influence of society because I think we're all bombarded with these messages 20 yeah. well except all the mm-hmm. time maybe even when we're sleeping some of the time because there might be some <laughs> residual uh um you know, things happening in our brains from uh whatever kinds of messages we've been exposed to during the day but yeah. at uh so, so where i was going with that was it's i mean i suppose we can find we can f- have feelings of authenticity probably just about anywhere but if, but I think in order to have those feelings of authenticity, we have to feel that the emotions, the senses uh, that we are experiencing are as unchecked by society as possible. So I'm, I need to feel, or one needs to feel, that they are thinking or acting a, a certain way uh, because that is somehow deep down in their being the the purest of of feelings, and that has not been colored by what your friends or your colleagues or uh, somebody on Instagram or YouTube thinks. So, and sort of just pulling away all of that and thinking, well, deep down, wh- what what do I think? What do I feel? How, mm. uh, yeah, so I think that's that's at the heart of it, and so for I think many people do feel that 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 the 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 green spaces, uh, quiet uh, time spent in nature can be like a kind of um, retreat, like some kind of uh, church. Even I mean, it's it's so I think because because of course I mean every you know all kinds of people will go to different. They will, they will find that sanctuary and the, that, that seek out that authenticity in different, different realms, different, different spaces. And so I think that for some people, it will be the forest or the walk on the beach when peop- that gives uh, a bit of uh, distance from those influencing factors. And so in deep breaths can be taken and, and one can think, ah, right, this is who I am again. Yeah, I remember me. This is it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. 
If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.